Welcome to the Uncommon Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Brian April. I'm excited to uh, be back here with you guys this week. We've got a great guest for you. But just a real quick uh, reminder first that uh, we are available on Apple, on Google, on Spotify. Uh, you can watch us on Facebook and YouTube. You can find us on Facebook at Uncommon Comedy, Instagram at Uncommon Comedy Tour, and on YouTube at Uncommon Comedy Podcast. Uh, today's guest uh, is uh, just a, an absolute joy for me to watch. I love working with him. He performs all over the country. Uh, he's been performing forever. Uh, very, very funny. Uh, please welcome the one, the only, Mr. Tony Calabrese. Tony. Hey. How's it going? I'm doing well, man. How are you? I am, I'm holed up in my little bunker here. I've got my booze, my Purell, and my mask, and I'm good to go. What else do you need? That's uh, it. So what I like, <laughs> what I like to say is that I, I always start off with talking a little bit about um, your act. And what I, I love about uh, performing with you and your act is you have that kind of um, that sarcastic, bitter, but it's not over-the-top sarcastic and bitter um, style that I, I absolutely love. You have this great um, stage presence and this great personality on stage, and um, you're not physical, like over-the-top physical, but your physicality within your facial expressions and uh, when you decide to be physical is so, so good, and uh, you're, you're, you're such a good uh, comedian to watch, and uh, I just enjoy working with you, so uh, thank you again for, for coming on today. So, Thank you for uh, having me and for all those you know phenomenal context i should have wrote more for you to read but as long as that part was there that's good yeah i, I got the yeah i got the pages so I, i'm good uh, so so let's uh, let's talk a little bit about uh you and your career what inspired you to start stand-up wow i all my life that's all i've ever wanted to do is make people laugh um but you know you uh, you're young you get married you have kids you need to make money and i ended up in a whole different path and I uh, didn't really start doing it, getting into comedy till I was about, oh, I would say 28 years old, 29. And uh, I, you know, I was going to, I was going to the comedy store. And at the time we had an improv here in San Diego and uh, a place called Comedy Isle as well. And I would just go and watch the comics and go to the open mics. I never had the guts to get up until I did one day and I was awful. And, but then I still wanted to get back up again, you know? So um, it was, probably just that 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 uh, that I don't know there's like a drive inside you that you just want to do this and um, it took one time bombing and then uh, and then I went back up and I bombed again and then I actually stopped for about a year and then I came back and started hitting open mics over and over and over again um, mm. I took a comedy class at the comedy store I met some great people there I thought but they're still friends to this day um, of course, three have died, but the other ones are fine. That's how long ago it was. Uh, well, Vicky Barbalak and I were in a very, okay. we started the exact same day of doing stand-up at the comedy store and um, in a class, um, the Sandy Shore comedy class. And uh, uh, that's how I met, that's why I met uh, Vicky and uh, we've been friends ever since. So, yeah. That's really cool. So, was there any uh, were there any particular comedians that uh, inspired you growing up? Were you like a fan of, you know, uh, George Carlin or anybody, somebody that really called you saying like, "Oh, I want to make people laugh." Yeah, Rodney Dangerfield. Yeah, that, that's, that's just no question. That was my my that you always made me laugh. Um, of course, you know, you, you, you I grew up with the you know, Bill Hicks and Pryor and Carlin as you know idols, but the one that always used to make me laugh was. Uh, 
Rodney Dage and Buddy Hackett, those two. Rodney Dage, Buddy Hackett. Uh, Buddy Hackett, I can watch any of his jokes. Any any old YouTube clip of him, I still laugh out loud. It's just uh, the two of them were just brilliant at making the audience and connecting the audience and making them laugh. Very funny. Yeah, Buddy Hackett was uh, the first comic that I was allowed to see once I turned 13. I was watching comedy since I was like 10. It was all like, you know, very clean cut. And then my brother determined, well, you're 13 now. You can see, you know, and so we went from like, you know, zero to, to Buddy Hackett, <laughs> which was uh, pretty quick. So well, uh, yeah, I'm I, older than you. So, you know, the, the, the comedy that I watched, um, when you got to see it, would be on the Ed Sullivan show. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'd see the uh, hippy dippy weatherman and watch uh, George Carlin do these old bits. Of course, at that time he had a suit and a tie. Right. You know, he's very clean cut. And you, you, and there were other guys. Henny Youngman would come on. Jack Benny would come on. Uh, so they were the old school comics, a completely different style than you know what you see today. Um, I think I used to actually. What I used to do, we used to have these huge family parties, and my father used to play in the San Diego Symphony, and uh, we'd have all these musicians over at the house, and they'd play music to like two or three. And then um, in the morning, and you know, party all night long, kind of thing. And I used to get up in front of all these musicians, and I would read uh, poetry with an English accent as a kid. And I was like seven, eight years old. And they would always make me, they'd drag me out of bed, you know, two, three in the morning, and make me come read these stupid poems with an English accent. Um, and that's how I started getting laughs, you know. So I think it was that, I think that's what got me addicted to it. Yeah, that laughter is truly addictive. Uh, so you, you spoke briefly about your first couple times getting on stage and bombing. Tell us about that first show. Well, the first open mic or the first show? Uh, the first time you went on stage, yeah, whether that was an open mic. Well, the first time I went on stage, I had zero idea what I was going to talk about. So I thought you could just get up there and just riff, you know. Um, <laughs> and people would, be, you know, they would love to hear what I had to say. Um, and so I, I was sitting there and I was watching the other comics and, um, I think I went up at five to midnight, and um, the only person left was the, in the audience was the person that was coming up after me, and um, you know it was that kind of thing. It was just it was awful. It was just awful. And uh, you know, and there's any comedian will know there's a feeling when you first start out, and you come off the stage, and another none of the other comedians look at you. Right? <laughs> there's that. It's like they kind of like you know, all right, yeah, like, we don't want to talk to them about it, you know. Or the flip side is, if there is a crowd there and you bomb, hey man, that was yeah, you did a yeah, yeah, that was you, you really got up there, you know. They don't it's a, that fake compliment, but they don't really compliment you. They just say, oh hey, yeah, you were up there, yeah, yeah, you were there. Yeah, you know? yeah that's very brave of you. That's yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, well, it's you look like you had you had a presence, you had some stage presence. You were on the stage, so you were present. You know, it was that kind of a thing. <laughs> did you have fun? Did you have? Fun? I always. That's what I do when I don't want to say to someone that they, they bombed or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Did, like, you did, have, did you have fun? Did you have fun? No, I didn't have any fun. Not the first time. Uh, but it's addictive. I mean, it's just, you know, it's probably the most addictive, addictive drug out there is getting up on that stage. Yeah, so. absolutely. Uh, for those who haven't experienced it, it's, it's, yeah, once you, once you get that, you're, you're hooked and you're, that's it. Um, so how long did it take for things to kind of click for you? Um. I would say about five to six years. It was, um, you know, 
I don't want to say anything negative about, about that comedy class, but it didn't teach you how to be a comedian. You can't teach somebody how to be a comic. You can't teach people how to be funny. You can teach structure. And so I learned structure in that class, and, but I was coming out as a, a one line, one joke comic. Um, and it wasn't me. It was just, I was writing jokes one at a time. Um, and it, it, uh, it wasn't very real. And then, uh, I got off the stage one night, it was a Sunday night, and at the time, some people might remember, Fred Burns was the manager of the, com of the comedy store in La Jolla. And Ron, the assistant manager, came over to me and said, uh, Fred wants to see you in the office. And I'm like, oh God, um, I'm gonna be banned from the comedy store for being so bad. And um, I went in the office and uh, Fred had a bottle of 1800 on the desk and, um, and a styrofoam cup and he had a, a box of baseballs and in dirt. And he was scuffing the balls up with dirt. And then he was autographing them Yogi Berra, um, <laughs> which was absolutely hilarious. And then uh, he didn't say anything. And I, hey, Fred, he goes, uh, you know, Tom, I know funny. You're funny. Not now. <laughs> it's like, not now? No, not now. You're not funny now. You're not being you're not being real. You're not being yourself. You're not you're trying to be something else. And um, uh, I, I was I was like devastated. Like, what do I do now? And so um, I threw out literally everything that I had created up to that point and just started from scratch. And um, I started with where did I want to go up in a bit and almost created the ending first. And I did it based on everything that was true or reality. And then, uh, you know, built built up to, a, uh, you know, a, a funny ending. And I started doing it like that. Um, and then I was getting together with a bunch of other comics. And we were started writing. And I saw what other guys were doing and picked up some tips from other people. And, I, you know, I just kept getting up there until I figured out what who I was. And then and what style I wanted to have. And what felt comfortable to me. And, and that's what I did. It was, it's, but it's, you can't, you can't be getting up on stage over and over and over again. You, you just have to get up on stage. Right. Um, it's repetition, 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 repetition. You see what works, what doesn't work, but you also have to feel it. It's not just what comes out of your mouth. You got to feel what you're saying. There has to be some emotion behind it. Um, right. So it's, it's, it's what your angst, your frustration is, what your anger is, whatever it is, whatever the emotion is, has to come out um, in the jokes that you're telling. In the, in, and now it's more of a story format than the one-liners. Um, but every single comedian out there has got to set a punchline and a tag and everything. Um, you know, it's, it's just how you, do it, how you tell it. And you just got to create your, you, you know, from your point of view. Right. Your, your persona and uh, that all yeah. the balls. Now, uh, just for, for uh, how long have you been performing? It's 1991, October of 91. So I however long that is. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, no math right now. We're not almost 30 years, I guess. Yeah. Okay. yeah. That's very cool. So yeah, I mean, it takes, like you said, just that repetition getting over and over and over again. And then you said you were talking to other comics. Uh, picking up some tips and t uh, tricks. What was the best piece of advice that you got about comedy? That the audience doesn't give a F about you. They don't care about your opinion. 
They don't know you. They, they have no knowledge of who you are as a beginning comic. Um, they do not care about you until you make them laugh. And uh, I thought that was the most important thing I've ever heard because, you know, nobody cares what, you know, if you're going to get up there and just do rants and preach to an audience, they don't know you. They don't care. They're not connected. So until you can get some laughter, that's what, that's what people are there for is to laugh. Um, until you get them laughing, they don't really care, you know. They got a two drink minimum. Um, you know, they're sitting there. They want they want laughter. That's the only reason they're there. So you, your personal opinions don't matter. Make me laugh, dance monkey dance, kind of thing. Um, so I think yeah, that that's the most important thing I ever learned was the audience doesn't care about you until you make them laugh. Hmm. Uh, that's pretty yeah, important. Yeah, that's the first time I think I've heard anyone say that. But that's that's totally true. It, it totally makes sense. That's a a great piece of advice for people listening. So you, uh, you you kind of, you were talking about you were originally more like a, a one-liner, you know, Rodney Dangerfield sort of type of uh, comic that became more story-based, but you still had your set of punch tags. That's what right. Uh, can you explain a little bit about your writing process now? Yeah, I, for me, I, I start with, if something, let's say you, I mean, you observe everything that happens going on around you, you have your own personal things that happen to you, something funny happens, I'll make a note of it. Um, and then I build around it and, you know, what led up to it? Um, what was I feeling at the time? And I might just, and then I'll just, I'll just talk. I'll just talk out loud about something. Um, and I, I try and think of as many things I can think about, whatever I was, you know, what my ultimate goal is to get to. If I want to talk about, Hey, I saw a cow. Um, I'll write everything I can think of about cows. Um, and then I'll start talking out loud about it, record it, play it back, listen to myself, um, and see what I pull out of it. Maybe 5% I can keep for something. So, you know, you create this volume of information and then you cut, you just keep editing. So you think you can try it out on stage and you try it out on stage and then uh, you have to tweak it a little bit. It never, I wouldn't say never, but it usually doesn't work the first time. You've got to add something, take something away change the arrangement of a line um, and at the same time what what am I feeling when I'm saying it do you because um, I'm, I'm kind of that way as well that's just sort of my process is more of a, a rant or an audio you know auditory version of it saying it out loud because it kind of makes it so it's in in the the style of your voice and you start to naturally edit it the more you say it like telling the story. Right. Um, did you ever do anything as far as like sitting down and writing and uh, of course yes absolutely um, I've, I've literally sat down at two in the morning and just started writing and the next thing I know it's five hours later and I've got page after page after page after page and uh, and then I'm like oh god I gotta go through this so what I'll do after that is pull out what I think might be funny to me and then I'll say it out loud and try and add um, add to it. Add a, you know, is this going to be my premise? Is this my punchline? What's my topic? Um, does this sound funny um, when I say this? Um, it's got a sound of funny. You know, comedy is in, in how we say and what we say out loud. People have to hear it. So the way we deliver a line, not only does it have to be funny from a structure standpoint, and is it something you know either nonsensical or shocking or whatever you want to call it, um, but does it sound funny? Um, 
if I say it a certain way with my eyes being like, you know, like this or, um, you know, my eyebrows, whatever I do with my face, you know, because I do have this you know, rubbery face, you know, it's like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a cut overweight. Um, so I'm so jealous of your rubbery face, by the way. Yeah, I, mean, <laughs> I use it. I mean, I, you know, I use my, I, you know, I can do this kind of, I mean, I use the eyes, I use the face, um, I use my facial expressions. So it's not just what I'm saying, but is it funny the way I say it? Um, that's what you have to not only write, but you got to say it out loud. Um, and you've got to be able to, you know, record it, play it back. And then what facial expressions can I use with it that conveys what I'm feeling when I'm saying it? Um, you know, is there, I don't like to, I don't move a lot on stage because, well, I'm, I don't like to move. And um, so, you know, I'm not, a, I'm not one of those guys that's walking back and pacing on the stage. I like to get centered. Um, and I might have a few Few, few movements of my body that accentuate something. But for the most part, you know, I'm a guy that just stands there and delivers the material um, and uses my facial expressions and any kind of body language. I have my hands, you know, whatever to convey the message. Um, it's not, you know, I'm not going to get I, these guys that pace back and forth across the stage. Um, that's their thing. I can't, it drives me nuts when I, when, you know. Yeah, I always find it distracting when they yeah, do that. Yeah, for me, it's very distracting. Because when you're on the left side of the stage, you're ignoring the other side of the audience. You know, there's an audience over there that's now seeing your back. Uh, right. And so it, that's really, really, it's one of those things that just drives me nuts. Uh, yeah, I always have that same problem because I just feel like it, it, to me, it's just a, it seems like it's a nerve thing. Like it's a nervous energy thing. It's a nervous energy. I mean, I think there's a very funny lady in San Diego who um, I love to death, but she comes out, she plants herself on the right side of the stage. She doesn't move her whole act. So everybody on that side of the stage feels like they're left out. Um, right. Um, so she's not pacing, but she's not centered. Um, and then I've got a couple of people that I know that never stop moving. And it, it's got to be a nervous habit. Um, yeah. If you're facing the audience and doing something with your body while you're doing it, like, like that fan moves all over the place. I mean, he's got such high energy. He's bouncing up and down. He's he's everywhere. You know, um, there's a lot of comics that they're facing. They're doing something physically as they're moving, but just pacing back and forth drives me nuts. Yeah, well, and also uh, I think another thing that, that always drives me nuts too is when someone just comes out and plays center. Mm -hmm. They ignore. Ignore the sides. You know, and it's like I understand like if you're if you're doing TV or something that you know you want to play. You want to play the center or whatever, but even still, you want to make sure that they're engaged and then deliver your punchline center. You know, let's see, thing, don't deliver your punchline this way. You know, make sure it's as big and wide as possible to, to center. But well, you have to be able, you have to look out, and and let's face it, in our business, a lot of times you can't see the audience. You right. Know? Um, there are times when you're performing to pitch black, and so you've got to look before you go on stage. Where is the audience? I mean. You know, you don't, you can't, I, I, I've seen people go up there and perform and there's no one there. Um, and they're looking at nothing and the people got up and left. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it happens, you know, that, so you've got to kind of take a look at what's going on on the stage and you've got to be able to look all the way around and try and, even if you can't see anything, you've got to be able to try and connect. Do you prefer, uh, seeing people uh, or, or not seeing people as far as the audience? I mean, obviously, I'd, I'd, rather, see I'd rather see, you know, at least the first few rows. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, I like to get, I, you know, I like to see what's, you know, if it's, if 
their, I want to see their faces. I want to see what their reactions are. Sometimes people, um, you know, they're laughing out loud. You can hear it, but you can't see what's going on, you know? Uh, And also, and this is just something that happened to me one time. And that's, um, I did a show, um, this was years ago when we had comedy up at the Hilton in Del Mar, right across the rail, the railroad tracks uh, the, and the, the uh, racetrack right there. And the room was so pitch black, you could not see the end of the stage. You couldn't see your feet. It was that bad. And you had this just, just like a spotlight so bright in your eyes, you couldn't see anything while I walked off the end of the stage, <laughs> um, which was funny. You know, when you think about it, um, and I crashed into the tables down in front. Um, so it was kind of funny because I reached back and I grabbed the curtain. And for a brief moment, I kind of like hung in space, you know, like maybe this will support me and I can swing back kind of thing. Uh, but no, it, it didn't support me. And um, yeah, that, that, yeah, I don't like those pitch black stages like that. But that was probably, yeah, I, that, of course, I jumped up. I'm okay, but I was not okay. You know. Yeah. Uh, you got to play with it. So. Yeah, you're gonna just roll with it. <laughs> that makes for a bad show. Um, yeah. Which kind of leads me into my next question, my favorite question: uh, What is the worst show you've ever performed? Oh man, there's been so many. Um, <laughs> that probably the worst show I ever did. Um, we were doing a benefit show for. Um, a place that had burnt down and it was an animal shelter and it was up in uh, North County and it was me um, and three other comics and it was in a big theater and um, probably about 350, I think is what it sat and they had a big like movie screen and they were showing like what the future was going to be as they rebuilt this place um, on the screen, like their vision was. And then, before they brought us, they showed the fire and the tragedy of the place burning down. And centermost was the carcasses of dead animals smoldering <laughs> on screen, on this huge screen, right? So we're like, oh, oh my God, like, right, this is, you know, what are we going to do? But that wasn't the topper. Um, and then they brought on stage. Um, I don't know if I can say what the political correct term is, Um, a little person, okay, in a wheelchair, okay, um, who had a month to live and was dying of cancer. And she was let out by a dog that pulled the wheelchair. Um, Oh, no. The dog had been rescued from the fire. Um, And then she wanted to tell how she was dying and had a month. And we're just like, and I'm not kidding you. She left the stage, and the guy that was the MC said, and now let's hear some comedy. <laughs> oh, my God. People were weeping. I mean, the audience was crying, and they were literally in tears. Um, and now we're supposed to make them laugh. And I was just so thankful that I was not the opening comic on that show because it was um, it was Paul Stecklin, and I'll never forget Paul getting up there. He did. He was good. I mean, he played with it. He had fun with them and got them going. And uh, but it was still awful. I mean, you know, what do you say when you're? You know, I mean, there's been weird, a lot of weird shows like that. But especially when you're doing benefit shows, they always tend to be the weird ones. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, yeah, I, they, they don't uh, they don't understand 
Lighting doesn't work, or they put somebody up in front of you. We did one for, um, oh, I can't remember the name of the foundation, but they said, we have a comedian. He's a paraplegic. We'd like to bring him up first before you go on. He's only going to do about 10 minutes worth of material. Um, he'll open the show, and that'll get everybody connected because they know exactly, you know, who this guy is. They're all going to love it. Um, well, he was like Stephen Hawking's where he had to do that. And he blew into a straw kind of thing. Okay. Well, it took him almost an hour to do 10 minutes worth of material, um, which I felt for the guy. And, and But now we got to go on after that, and we're supposed to give him a 90-minute show, two and a half hours? Mm. Um, it was just brutal. You know? And you're like, what are you going to do? You know? Right. Um, and, I mean, that's horrible for me to say anything about it like that. But at the time, if you're, the guy, if you're the comic going on stage after that, and somebody's been up there literally an hour, and and the guy that's organizing is like, well, you know, he's got, and we're like, yeah, we get it. Do you still want us to do our time? Um, I'll tell you, one of the funniest shows, this is so politically incorrect, but um, I don't even know if I can tell you this one. It's not dirty, it's just way politically incorrect. Um, right. We did a show. We should. We did a show. You can, can you edit this out, or is this going to be on the whole? Is this going to be there? We can edit it if it's if it's you know not appropriate or whatever. So. All right. Well, I'm going to tell you the story, and then you can do whatever you want with it. So, <laughs> okay. Um, we did a show. We used to have a we used to have a group called Comedy Incorporated. That was four comics. We did clean shows, and um, you know it's because it was corporate. We knew we wanted to you know make money, and the only way to do it was to work clean. So we did a show at the convention center for a group. It was a doctors and nurses association. There were upwards of 2,000 people in the audience. They had set the convention center up almost in the round. It was like in a U-shaped audience, the way they were set up, and with people on the sides towards the back of us. And they started the show with, like, it wasn't just comedy. There was a magician. There was a juggler. Um, and then there was this little boy that came out and sang show tunes and we're standing there and one of the comics turns to me as the little boy is singing Annie and he says, do you think he knows, do you think he knows he's gay yet? Okay. okay. Now I'm not politically incorrect. Well, we laughed because we're comics and, but the mother of the boy was standing right behind us. Oh, no. Yeah. So she went and, you know, ratted on us for this. And we can't have these horrible people on the show. Um, and we don't even pay. They paid us ahead of time. And they came back to us and said that because originally we were supposed to do 90 minutes, um, they cut it to an hour and then 30 minutes. And then they were giving us 10 minutes. Um, they kept cutting the times as the story kept spreading. And at the end, it was one comic went out there and did 10, was not me, one comic went out there and did 10 minutes to silence. It was like all of a sudden the entire audience knew what was said about that little boy. Wow. Um, and now the little boy's on the Olympic diving team. So he's done great. Um, the, uh, you know, I'm, it was a really, it was bad. It, at the time, it was totally inappropriate. It was not cool, but it was funny. Right. You know? Um, well, I think that also shows that, you know, um, 
just you have to be aware of, of a good thing of advice for for comics is know who's around you like oh watch yeah. what you say like because even if it's a you know you see somebody in the audience and you're like oh this dude's terrible oh that's my husband you know like there's so many stories like that you just have to be you know smart about what you're doing it's not you didn't say it it's just and again we're you know comics have a very twisted sense of humor and if if it's funny we laugh that's exactly plus there's a tension before you go on stage you may not be nervous but there's a tension and so and we do a lot of stuff to break each other up before you go on stage like you know don't suck um you know that kind of a thing um, don't blow this, you know, your life depends on it. And then when they come off the stage, you'll say, hey, did you go up yet? You know, that kind of right. thing. Um, just to give somebody a hard time. And so you're, you're trying to keep the mood light. You know, you don't want people so, and corporate shows especially, because you are so you don't want to say anything that's going to tick anybody off. And usually you've been vetted and they want to make sure that you're not going to, they want a transcript of your material and all that kind of stuff. So the um, it was just in the moment and he said it, we all, all of all four of us were laughing. I mean, because it, it went on it wasn't like he just sang one tune i mean he just kept singing it was right. one after another and um it wasn't the most masculine singing that's all i'm gonna say and so you know granted he was maybe nine or ten but it was not it was bad we cashed the check right away we, we, <laughs> yeah, that's fine. Next day. we didn't mess around yeah um, always always get the check before you cash the check. um yeah. so and but we Obviously, they did not rebook us, and um, you know I have no idea how many gigs we lost because of that. But it happened. Right. Yeah. You know? Well, especially in the corporate world, like that is uh, you, your reputation is everything. And something like that happens, you are you're toast. That's one of the problems with social media is that it's there forever, and mm-hmm. if you say something inappropriate, um, you know I I wasn't always a clean comic when I started out. I didn't care. You know I wasn't right. a dirty comic. But um, I would drop an f bomb or whatever. It just as part of a joke. I mean, um, I used to right. joke. I used to do a joke about my kids when they were really little, watching the San Diego Chargers, and uh, basically one of them yells out, "He dropped the f and ball," you know, and that was the punchline of this this joke. Well, you know, I'm saying the word that a five year old said. I can't do that on a corporate gig. I, I don't even do that in a regular show anymore. So. Um, right, because you just you want you're trying to get booked to want to make money, you know. So you know, clean is green. So that's you know, until you're a big name comic, if you want to make money in this business, um, the clean route. If you've got 15 to 30 minutes of clean material, you can make up a couple hundred bucks. I tell comics all the time, give me 15 minutes clean, and you know you can open. You can you can open for me. It, it it's simple. Right, right. You, know? you can make. Well, that- any- you know, that's something. I'm sorry. Uh, I was gonna say that that's something you and I talk about. Uh, we've talked about this a lot, actually. Is your social media presence? Um, because if you do a corporate show, which you do tons of corporate shows, I do corporate work as well, and they're gonna pay you five thousand, ten thousand dollars. They're gonna research you. So oh, yeah. scrub your, you know, your, your social media. Like, be smart about it. Like, if you. I, I remember you have a story about losing a gig because of something. You said, uh, and it wasn't well, even off-putting, and it was just, you know, times change. Uh, you know, a joke that I had uh, years ago about uh, my hair, you know, my hair was racist, and it was basically a balding joke, uh, but it was like reverse, uh, does not fly now. 
Uh, right. You know, and so it's like you have to be aware of that, and you have to be aware of what you put out there uh, on social media, and you know what you have on YouTube and all that sort of stuff. Well, years ago, um, well, first of all, we didn't have a cancel culture, and right. we didn't have uh, the political correctness we have today. Um, right. Um, I don't think any. I don't know any comedians that purposely were trying to hurt anyone with their material. Um, we were just trying to get laughs, and, but it was a different era, so it was taken differently. Um, the gig you're referring to with me was it was for a, um, a Catholic group in Nashville, Tennessee, and I had done a joke. I don't remember. It was when it was the, it was at the very beginning of the gay marriage issue. Um, and it wasn't, I wasn't making fun of gay people getting married. I was, basically the joke was making fun of um, people who, like, I don't care if, who marry who you want was basically the, the, you know, doesn't matter to me. Well, that group, that corporate group, the Catholic group, took that as I was now in support of gay marriage. So, and it was found on a video on YouTube from like 2011 or eight or whatever the heck it was. Um, they had seen a bit that was out there, um, and it cost me five thousand bucks. Um, and you know they can't book me because of my views on gay marriage. Well, um, I'm not going to talk about that on stage. It has nothing to do with it. Um, and my material isn't like that. It was something at the time that many years ago. Just like we used to joke about Muslim. You know, it, it was. You know, you would joke about. I did a joke about two Jews walked into a bar. You know, how come there's no Muslim terrorists? Because every joke starts out, two Jews walked into a bar. So I blew myself up, you know. Um, it was an old joke. Well, you know, in, 20 years ago, the joke was funny. Um, right. It's not funny. You can't do that kind of material now. Um, right. So, you know, we have to keep changing with the times. Um, and you have to pick and choose your material that... Uh, is not offensive if you want to make money. If you just want to be a club comic, get up there and you know say whatever you want, and nobody cares. Um, but at least from my age, um, I have to find a certain niche to perform to. I've chosen to work corporate um, and to do you know the over fifty-five crowd. Uh, these these uh, retirement communities where they're you know these they're very plush. If you've done some of them. Um, you know, they got the golf course and then, you know, million dollar condos and they have a huge auditorium. They fill it up, they pay you. And, you know, hey, we're not talking about an old, an, a 90 year olds at a rest home where you got to play Santa Claus for an hour. This is right. They're used to Buddy Hackett. They're used to that kind of comedy. You know, that's their right. age. So they want that style, but you still have to do it to where you're not going to offend anybody. Right. You, know, you got to stay away from politics. You got to stay away from religion. You, you know, it's, it's common sense stuff. Um, I don't do any political material anymore. And I used to start out with, for a long time, whatever was in the news that week. Right. And, and you try to be topical. Well, you can't do that. I mean, no, you can't. Not, make, not if you want to get booked in any kind of, you just can't do it. You're just not, you know, they don't want to hear about politics. Right. Well, and it's not even so much that, you know, it's, it's maybe the audience, but it's the person who booked you. Like a exactly. lot of comics don't realize that's who you're taking care of. Because, you know, you do the wrong thing, they get fired. You know? Oh, yeah. Well, so, and, and you've probably done this. I know this happens to me probably 75% of the time. I've got to send a transcript of what I'm going to be talking about. Mm -hmm. HR has to approve it and legal has to approve it. 
right? Before you can get up there and do anything because they don't want lawsuits. They don't want any issues because uh, they, they can't risk any of their employees getting offended. Right. Yeah. yeah, it's 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 crazy, but like you said, if that if you want to to work and make some money, that's those are the rules. Yeah. So yeah, that's always interesting. Um, so just to kind of reset, we're talking with uh, Tony Calabrese, um, very very funny comedian. Uh, if you want to check out more about Tony, you can visit his website at uh, tonycalabrese.com. Uh, that's C A L A B R E S E dot com. Uh, Tony Calabrese. So, uh, Tony, what's one? What's the? I like this one too. What's the weirdest place you ever performed at? What's the weirdest location, like show wise? Um, boy, there's. I, when, you, when I saw that question, I'm like, oh my god, there's. there's <laughs> so <shows>. many. <laughs> weird, weird. I've done. I did. I've done stand up from the bed of a pickup truck. I've done. Um, I tell you, one of the one of the weirdest places was it was a corporate gig. Uh, in Rancho Santa Fe at a home. And, you know, it, and it was Dustin Nickerson and I, just the two of us. Mm-hmm. And um, Dustin today is going to be a great gig. Um, you know, this, the, these people got a lot of money. They'll probably pay us more than we even asked for. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it's going to be, you know, it's, it's, don't worry. We're only going to give them an hour. We'll go in there. We'll kill it. And it'll be great. So this home is a, we get there, it's a, it's a, it's the White House. Okay. It's the mansion. Right. Um, we go in the back cause we're going to do comedy outside. Um, and, uh, there's an Olympic swimming pool and we're on one end and the audience is on the other end of the Olympics. So yeah. And I, and we had, um, one of these Bose speaker system things. And uh, I looked at Dustin and I said, well, this is going to be one of those times because they're not going to hear us or pay attention. They're not, no one's going to care. It's just going to be one of those weird things. Um, and uh, I went up first and I did half an hour. I just performed as if the audience was right in front of me. And I was kind of making, they were, they were eating shrimp cocktails in the back. They weren't even, you know, it was, Ridiculous. You could hear laughter every once in a while. I finish and bring Dustin up. And then just as he goes up, this little kid comes out from behind him with a brown box, a paper box, like cardboard, and two kitchen utensils. And the entire time Dustin's there, he's beating on these things like he's playing the drum. <laughs> it was one of the funniest and most bizarre thing I've ever seen in my life because he just kept going. Nobody was paying attention. The kid, nobody knows. I have no, we didn't know who this kid was, where he came from. Nobody came to get him. Um, he was like five or six years old. And he just, he was just looking at him, banging on these things. He, you know, he was the Ringo star of the day. I mean, you know, you didn't want him, but there he was. Um, it was, it was bizarre. And, and then afterwards, we didn't even get paid what we thought we were going to get paid. It was horrible. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And, yeah but, and there's not much you can do at a point at that sort of point. You know, yeah. It, it's just, you know, I, I've, done, I've done stuff like in parking lots. I've done stuff. Um, I, did a, I, did, I did one show in the living room um, for 10 people. It was a, 
dinner party and they wanted a comic. Um, and I kept saying, well, do you have sound? Do you have, you know, what, what do we, well, there's no sound. It's just you, you just get up there. And uh, for a lot of money, but you know, you just sit there going, okay, this is a crowd work room at this point. You gotta, yeah. I mean, it's, it's 10 people. You can't just sit there and tell jokes um, for an hour. You know? um, so you had to do, you know, and I don't like doing that, but you know, so, but I did it. And, uh, but it was weird. That was a weird place. It was, it was very dark. And I, I thought they were going to kill me and dismember me. You know, it's that kind of bizarre place. You know? Yeah, those, those are always such strange shows. I mean, I, people think it's a good idea to have it at their house, and it's not. It's, it's not. not. Unless you have a, a theater in your house with lights and sound and good seating. It's I not. did a 40th birthday party where it was in the backyard. This was just a couple of years ago. And um, I only had to do half an hour. And he was going to pay me 400 bucks for half an hour for his wife's 40th birthday party. And I, do you have, we got a sound system. We got lighting. We got everything. Cool. So I get there. It's in the backyard. Um, there was a jump for joy, one of those bouncy house things for kids, mm -hmm. filled with little kids behind me, <laughs> um, jumping up and down. The microphone was little like Mr. Microphone things, right? Yeah. And the lights were these, they looked like Chinese lanterns. Okay. Hung across the, the, this trellis kind of thing. And I had to stand in front of it. And uh, while I was performing to the wife, uh, this little kid came up and grabbed my leg and held onto it for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> and then he pooped and peed at the same time. I was like, oh, why is this, you know, what do I, the things we do. But I got paid an extra 200 bucks for that. So nice. we added to that because of the, what I'd gone through. But that's. But we've all done them. We, we, yeah. we do, you know, we're, we're basically prostitutes. We'll do whatever it takes. I mean, right. we've all got those shows. I mean, I, I could go through a hundred different crazy shows. It's funny, Patrice O'Neill had this, uh, this great, uh, quote about if you'd be like, you know, we've done so many horrible things for money that even prostitutes are like, you guys should have some standards. You know, like... <laughs> That's true. Because we'll do it. We'll do it. As long as we... I can't remember saying yeah, no to it doesn't. It doesn't even register in your mind to be like, no, I'm not going to do this. It's Well, part of it is you want the money. Right. The other part is I can do this. Yeah. You know? It can't be that bad. Right. You know? I can make it's it only work. an hour. It's only half an hour. It's only whatever it is. It's only, you know, how bad can it be? You know? Right. And then, and then you really get there and see it. It's just, then, oh, why do we do this? You know? Yeah. Because first you go, okay, how much is it? That's like the first question. You know, how much is it? What's it pay? Okay. And then you find out the details and you're like, all right, I can make that work. And you get there and you see it's a train wreck and you're like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm, I can pull it off. I can yeah, pull it off. Yeah, yeah, I can pull it off. You know it's and a then, hell you do it anyway. Yeah. You know? yeah. Uh, and then you just like halfway through, you're like, all right, well, we'll just practice now. We'll just, <laughs> we'll do yeah, I mean, what are you going to do? Yeah. yeah. You're there. Yeah. But I love the it's all about staying professional, you know, even in that, that case, it's so important to stay professional. Even yeah, because you know what you're going to get out of it. You know, it's, I can't tell you how many hell gigs I've done where afterwards somebody, oh, you were so good. Yeah. Um, 
you know, I've got a, something coming up, but da, 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 and the next thing you know, you're doing a, you're doing a benefit or a corporate show because this right. person worked at some company and now you're making a thousand bucks. So you got to do them. It's just, you, you don't know what's going to come of them. Now there are right. some that, you know, they, they, how much do you charge? And then you give them, Oh, well, you won't do it just because you love to perform. Uh, no, 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 you got to pay me. Exactly. Get a exactly. Like we did that uh, that airport show uh, oh, yeah. together, and that was one that of those where oh. I totally just broke because I was just like, "This is." I'm never, you know, I, I'm always like, I always pride myself on being professional, but it was just so nobody was paying attention except for I think Lisa, I think you and uh, Mark and a few other people were just talking at that point because you know we all just. We were busting. We were making fun. We were yeah. laughing more, making fun of whoever was on stage at the exactly. time. Exactly. Because of the pain they were going through. Exactly. Yeah. That was that was a rare show where um, usually with like a hell gig, it's it's happening. You don't realize it's happening until you're on stage. But that was like you knew well before you went on oh, stage yeah. that this was going to be awful. So the dread and the pain was all before you went on stage. And then when you get on stage, you're kind of like, well. All right, I kind of, you know, like there was a well, freedom. Was like really, I took out my phone. You, what I took was out bad. my phone and recorded. I was like, yeah. okay, you want to know what it's like? And <laughs> nobody cared. Nobody noticed. You, nobody you cared. You little kids come up and sit down while you were performing? <laughs> yes. And they were eating pizza or something like that. And then while you were up there, a woman came over and said, you need to stop this. They're complaining upstairs about the noise. <laughs> and, no one was watching, but the upper level where the shops were were complaining there was noise downstairs. Was like, oh. I don't know why they noise, but it wasn't just the comics. It was an airport. No, no it was yeah. We were in the airport, you know, um, and not a good venue for that. No, definitely not. Um, so let's shift gears a little bit. Uh, uh, you like uh, like I do. Um, you love comedy and you like to uh, help and you like to teach uh, about comedy. What kind of got you into helping back, uh, helping comics and kind of teaching comics and getting them, you know, giving them a, a plan? Um, it was nine years ago. Um, I'd done a 24 uh, hour actors thing where, you know, you, you get all together, you're in a room, you're locked up and you got to write a play, perform, direct all this, this you know, you never get to leave. It's a 24-hour actors experiment, or whatever it's called. One of the guys there um, had seen me perform. He said, "Hey, we've got this theater here. I think you could put together a comedy class at this theater." And I'm like, um, "Well, who's going to go to you know? Well, the actor, the other actors that are here, you know, they they there a lot of them are interested in stand-up comedy." And I thought, "Yeah, I can do it for you." And um, that was it. I started that, and then I've been doing it ever since. And it grew from there, and um, I did it. I've done it solid now for the last seven years, and, uh, and between the National Comedy Theater and the Point Loma Actor Studio. So, uh, yeah, I and mean, it just started. Somebody asked me to do it, and I thought, sure, why not? Um, you cannot again. You cannot make somebody funny. They're either funny or they're right. not. Um, but you can coach them, and you can teach them structure. Um, you can give them, you know, the basics. I think. Uh, you can help them edit their work. You can point out some things uh, that you think they could do differently. 
you can help them with their stage presence, but you know, if you're not funny, you're not funny. You know, it's, right. it's, nobody's going to make you funny. Right. It's impossible. I mean, they can. You, I think one of the benefits is it can help cut the time off your learning curve. Um, yes. If you if you're Absolutely. a good instructor, you know, like they can definitely help you with, you know, hey, here's here's the process and here's you know what you can kind of think of, but. Uh, but, but you yeah. still got to get up on stage. But you, right. I don't care how many classes you take. If you're not getting on open mics and getting in front of people, and don't even open mics are a cesspool. I mean, <laughs> it's it's just a it is they're they're awful. Right. But you got to do it. Um, you got to get. I mean, you have to make you know make your bones. You got to get up there and and it's get on stage as much as you can because, yeah, granted you're probably performing ninety percent of the time to other comedians. Um, you're going to be going up late at night. There's very, very rarely is there anybody actually in the audience. It's an audience. Um, and it's not about so much seeing if this particular material is going to work because there's really no one there to, it's to, to see or get a reaction from, but how you deliver it, how you feel delivering that material. Do you feel that it's funny when you're doing it? Um, you know, what, if you got, if you get comics to laugh, uh, for some other reason than bombing, um, then you're, you know, you're, you're doing pretty well um, without shocking them. A lot of people try to shock other comics and even last. But um, you know, if you if you've got material that works and it's funny, uh, you can even get other comics to laugh, and then you know, then you know for sure that you've got something that works. But yeah, but I see so many people that will just sit and try to make the other comics laugh because they're desperate to hear that laughter. Yeah, and they. And I mean, it does. It doesn't mean anything. You know, open mics are, are a tool. It's a training tool. That's what it's for. You know. Right. It's, I see. I used to go to open mics to try and you know find comics to open or something, and I just finally gave up because it's the same dick jokes over and over and over and over again. Right. Um, you know, it's 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 nothing. There's very few times that you see somebody original and fresh and and uh, who isn't trying to appeal to the lowest denominator in the room you know it's right how dirty can i get to shock another comic um, right and i have nothing against people working dirty at all I, I've got, if that's what you want to do do it i don't care uh that's not what i want to do because i only do this to make money you know right. it's you know I, I do it for a living so you know i enjoy it i love getting on stage but um, i know that um, that is not the path to making money quickly Right, and if you're if, if you're at open mics trying to make the open micers laugh, you're just going to keep playing open mics. And that's why you know typically you'll see the same comics year in and year out. They last two or three years and they vanish. Uh, right. And then you see the same, and, and it's it's just a you know it's just a treadmill of uh, you know this these guys running through doing the same things and yep. then they go away. You know that's that's. I've seen it for years. I saw it here. I saw it in Los Angeles. It's not new. Um, it, it, there's, uh, you know, it used to be different. Um, and I think maybe, I don't think we have the mentors we used to have that would hang out at the clubs like they mm -hmm. used to have. When I was coming up, there was, you know, you could hang around and there were other comics that were actually doing it and making money. And, you know, it was a different time. Wow. Uh, Plus, you didn't get passed to get onto best of shows unless you were good. You know, you didn't. 
get, you know, you didn't get that next step unless you passed and somebody had to look at you and pass you. And this guy's funny, this gal's funny, whatever. Uh, it doesn't exist anymore. So right. uh, for the most part, uh, and I think that that's one of the problems too, is you don't have that, that level of, of person that looks at somebody and says, okay, this guy's good. Fix this, this, this. We'll try on a Wednesday. We'll try on a Thursday. Um, mm -hmm. you know, those, that's pretty much over with, you know, down here. So, yeah. Well, I mean, that's how it was where I started too. It was, you know, the open mics were booked and the booker would sit in the audience and watch you and give you notes and say, you know, this will do. And they would basically groom you for that club. Right. Say, okay, this is what you want to do. This is what we want. And uh, so if you're willing to work with this, we'll work with you. And, you know, and that's, it was a great roadmap. And now, like you said, that nobody's really, um, not a lot of places are doing that. I don't want to say nobody, but there's not a lot of places doing that. Right. And the other problem a lot of comics don't want to hear it because they're delusional in their head. And you can't tell me about you know free speech and this and that. And you know my my jokes about this are amazing and you know and it's it's all that sort of nonsense. But um, I guess it kind of leads into this. So what is the biggest uh, mistake you see a lot of newer comics make now? Trying to be something that they're not trying to imitate another comic, but that's not really them. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, they'll see a, a Netflix special of somebody and think, oh, that's me, I can do that. Then they try and be that comic rather than just being themselves. Um, and I see way too many comedians trying to pretend that they're, you know, the next, you know, whatever hit sensation they want to be. I mean, they copy too many people. I'm not, I'm not talking about material, but um, the style of material and, the, and their style copies other comics rather than them just trying to be themselves. And I think that's, you know, we used to say it takes 10 years to, you know, find your voice. I don't believe that. I, I don't think it takes 10 years. Um, but you have to be able to realize what your true voice is. And that's, it's, you know, it's, it could be, it could take you two years. It could take you 10 years. Um, but you've got to get up on stage enough to figure it out. And, and, you know, however many, you know, if you're only getting them on stage once a year, well, it's going to take a lot longer than 10 years to find your voice. Right. Yeah. Um, if you're getting up four or five times a week, it may not take more than a couple. It may take a year. I mean, I've only, I've only known one natural comedian in 30 years I've been doing this. Um, I've only seen one person get up on stage who was funny and knew who they were from the moment they got on stage. Um, and you could just tell that this person had something special. And, and that in one once in 30 years. So uh, I've seen funny people. I've seen a lot of funny people um, and people you've never heard of that were extremely funny. Uh, but a pure natural talent from the get-go, you got to find yourself. So I what would, yeah, would that be the, the biggest piece of advice you have for comics? Just find yourselves or what, what's some of the best advice you can give with your almost 30 years of experience now? Be original to where the material, what you're doing is about you, okay? Don't, don't try and do what other people are doing. Do what you want to do. And it can be the same topic that somebody else was talking about, but if it's original to you, just do you. You know, don't, you know, I can't talk about uh, being overweight because so-and-so talks about being overweight, okay? Talk about your you being overweight and how you deal with it and how you talk about it and why is it why is it unique to you right. uh, if that's what you want to talk about whatever you pick 
whatever your topics are and whatever situation you put those topics in based on reality, um, make sure it's something that is true to you. you know, it's got to be your truth. You know, comedy's in the truth. It's in, it's in taking the truth and then twisting it, but it's there. The truth is there. That's great advice. You know, trying to make something up and then making something funny that you made up, um, it's got to be based on truth, something, somewhere that you can call on so that it's a, it's yours. You know, it's original to you. Um, I see way too many copycat comics. And I'm not talking about people that are hacking other people's material. They're just copycats mm-hmm. in style and everything else. That's like it drives me nuts when people say, oh, you remind me of Rodney Dangerfield. You know, I am not Rodney Dangerfield in any way, shape, or form. Um, but I may have some stylistic tendencies that remind people of Rodney. Well, I'm older, I'm going bald, I got a big forehead, I got facial expressions. But if you listen to my material, it's not Rodney Dangerfield by any stretch right. of that. Which, so, right. um, and I'm not trying to be Rodney Dangerfield, I'm just being myself. So, you know, that you can't try and be somebody else and make it work. It just, it, it won't. People can read right through that. You know? Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so we're, we're starting to, to wind down a little bit. Uh, one of the things that uh, you're doing, too, which is pretty cool, you were telling me about this, you have uh, an animated sketch comedy show, uh, KIWTV. Mm-hmm. Tell us uh, a little bit about that. Well, it's Keeping It Weird TV. It started out as a radio show years ago. It was on 103.7 and then uh, one other station. I joined them um, uh on the radio show. I was there for about five years and we just did old sketched, you know, like the old radio shows, sketch comedy shows. We wrote our own shows and we do that on the radio. Well, um, Rick Jean, who created keeping it weird, um, has now bringing the sketches back, but we're animating the sketches and updating the sketches. So, um, Keeping It Weird never went away. It was an online radio show after it left the radio station and it's on, uh, keeping it weird, KWTV. You can see it on any Roku device. You can look up, you know, if you have Roku, you can look up KWTV. And we're putting the sketch comedy. Um, I'm learning animation. Rick's learning animation, which I'm having a blast doing because I suck at it right now. Um, so, well, yeah, and that's what makes it so funny is when you're so bad at it, it actually looks better um, because you can make fun of how bad it is. Uh, but I'm having fun because, you know, there's no live, really live comedy anymore right now. So we, you know, we have very few things that uh, an opportunity to perform. So I thought, well, let's, I'll, I'll do this. But, and Rick said, yeah. So we both have been working on animation. It's a lot of fun. And so we've yeah, got a up on YouTube and on the TV channel. And uh, you can find KIW TV on Roku and then keeping it weird um, on YouTube. And you'll see there are little cartoon comedy sketches on there. So, and, uh, and that's uh, youtube.com slash KIWTV. Yeah, correct. I think that's it. Yeah. Yeah. YouTube.com slash KIWTV for uh, keeping it weird TV. Uh, so, uh, I always like asking this one, uh, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get talking about the San Diego Food Bank in a second. But, uh, do you have any funny audience stories, like something that's either happened to while you were on stage or where something happened while you were in the room and someone else was on stage? Um, Boy, there's, that's another thing where you've seen a lot. Of, I've seen a lot of stuff. Um, yeah. Uh, I think I've seen audiences charge. I've seen people charge the stage. Um, 
I've seen one of the comedians put someone in the audience in a headlock um, and wrestle them to the ground. I've had, I've been on stage and had bottles thrown at me um, for a really? joke. That, oh yeah, for a joke someone didn't like, um, and they missed. Thank God. Um, and I think probably one of the most bizarre things I saw was at the comedy store, and there were two German women in the audience, and they were sitting about the second to third row dead center. Um, and they were in these real spangly kind of dresses. I don't know what you call that material, but it almost like, uh, looked like scales, but it was real shiny, mm -hmm. little tiny scales. I don't know what you call that, but, um, and they had, they were bombed, they were hammered. Um, and they had no underwear on and they kept showing the comics that were on stage that they had no underwear while you were performing. And, um, you know, the comics are coming up, you're not going to believe who these, who these girls are, you know. Um, and one of the comics got up there and ruined it for the rest of us. Um, we called the girls out and made the mistake of bringing them up on stage. Um, and they proceeded to, how much they love America is so good to them. And, you know, everybody here is so, so friendly um, and completely lost. We were, people were rolling because these girls were hammered and I can't even remember all the crap they were saying, but in the end, he was trying to get them to pull up their skirts to um, show the entire audience that they didn't have anything on underneath. It was just surreal. And then the, end of, the girls ended up getting in a fight. And one of the comics tried to get the, you know, one of the bouncer door guys tried to get the comic off the, the girls off the stage. And it was, it was, it was weird. It was just one of those weird shows and weird audience things. Never give up the microphone, you know, um, ever to an audience member. Just don't do it. And I yeah, don't care. another great piece of advice. And I don't care if they're not wearing underwear. I don't care how hot they are. Don't give them the microphone. And um, yeah, that was nuts. But but they were German. <laughs> so what, you know, they were talking like this the whole time about how much they love America. You know, that kind of a thing. That's so crazy. Uh, well, let's talk a little bit about uh, the San Diego Food Bank. That's the uh, organization you wanted to spotlight today. Uh, tell us a little bit about uh, why you chose that. Well, um, you know, during this crisis, this COVID crisis, there's a lot of lot of people in San Diego that are unemployed. Um, food costs have gone up. San Diego Food Bank does a phenomenal job of providing meals um, and food for people. They can drive up there. Um, you, can, you go by, you pick it up. They don't ask, they're not a lot of questions. They're not going to give you a hard time about anything. They help keep families fed. I don't know how many thousands they're feeding every day. Um, um, I know the guy that runs it, Jim Floros. He used to run the Burn Institute. Now he's running the San Diego Food Bank. Um, he's done a great job with that organization. Um, and I wanted to pick something that I know is, plus I like food. Um, and, uh, you know, that's the other reason. But, you know, in, this, in times like this, I've seen, so many uh, of my friends that are unemployed, um, anybody in the entertainment business that, you know, we're all hurting right now because there's just no money to be made. And, and uh, uh, you know, places like the San Diego Food Bank that are not asking questions that are helping you, you know, get by with groceries. We all know how expensive that is. And they're helping everybody. They don't care what your politics are. They don't care anything other than um, they're there to help people in San Diego get something to eat, get some nutrition. And, uh, it's just a great organization and they do it. You know, it's, it's the volunteers there, the people that work there. It's, they're great people. 
Yeah, and that's a great, uh, like I said, it's a, it's a great cause. And for people who maybe aren't living in San Diego who are watching this, listening to this, you know, check out your local food bank. Absolutely. Um, because they, they can use the help too and, and just help uh, your community. Uh, but yeah, the San Diego Food Bank has been uh, amazing. They've partnered with um, some of the people that have done some benefit shows for to help feed the hungry and the homeless. And so uh, they're they're an amazing uh, partner to to work with. And like I said, just if uh, if you're not in San Diego, if you're in Texas, there, I'm sure there's food banks there. If they're you know wherever you are, there, there's food banks that are are trying to help people, especially during this time. But um, so one more time, uh, Tony Calabrese, I want to thank you for coming on. Uh, if you want to check out Tony, you can find him at uh, TonyCalabrese.com. That's C-A-L-A-B-R-E-S-E. Uh, it's TonyCalabrese.com. And uh, if you like what we're doing here, make sure you subscribe, follow us uh, on Facebook, on Twitter, or not on Twitter, uh, Facebook at Uncommon Comedy, on Instagram at Uncommon Comedy Tour, and on YouTube at Uncommon Comedy Podcast. Uh, thank you guys so much uh, for tuning in. And, Tony, thank you again for, for coming in and uh, spending some time with us today. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. Take care of yourself, right. my friend. All right. You too.